And now, ladies and gentlemen, just remember that what's about to happen, you have no one to blame but yourself. Would you please welcome your lead pastor, the Right Reverend Scott Kegel. One, two, three. I'll become even more undignified than this. Some would say it's foolishness, but I'll become even more undignified than this. Leave my pride by your side. All right, all right. <laughs> well, let me tell you, for those of you that are visiting, <laughs> what actually happened here. Uh, so we, I, we engaged in a contest between Awana, our children's ministry, which clearly uh, has a little bit more strength than our church. And, um, and uh, the contest was to see who could uh, bring in more uh, canned goods to help restock the food pantry at Mana. And, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was neck and neck. So Awana brought in a total of 1,560 cans. And uh, my ABF church family, and I say that endearing, uh, family brought in a total of <laughs> 225 cans. And so uh, I feel a little bit betrayed, if I'm honest, if I'm, uh, if I'm honest here. But I know what happened. This is what happened, because I saw in my very own family, was, was, was there was purchases made of canned goods. There's a drive to the church. And in that drive to the church, there was a decision made as to which bin to put it in. And my own wife and children put it in the, the Awana bin. So... So anyway, the, the good news, if there is any to find in this, uh, is, is that it was about 500 more cans of uh, items than last year, so praise God for, uh, for that. And the consequence, though, is you're stuck with this. You're stuck with this through the entire sermon, and I'm serious. So, so you're going to have to get uh, comfortable with this. I, I don't have any consequence because I'm just looking at you lovely people. You're stuck looking at this. Well, this, uh, take it off, right? Uh, so anyway, diving into this morning's text, if you wouldn't mind uh, somehow turning to Romans 6 in the middle of this, and we'll be working through the second half of the chapter. And the running theme, uh, I know it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard. Uh, the running theme through uh, this chapter is talking about the word freedom, and my question for you this morning is, what picture comes to mind when you think of the word freedom? I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight against that? No! We will run! And we will live. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds, 
many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Maybe that's what comes to mind. You see, blue is the color of freedom. <laughs> so this morning, thinking with that in mind, a lot of us will chant and celebrate for freedom. In fact, we have a country that's built on uh, the, the idea of freedom. And in fact, many have died to protect that freedom. But the question this morning is, what is freedom? I would propose that our country, our culture, our society has some confusion about what actually, what the, the definition, what, what is true freedom? For some reason, there's some confusion there. And so this morning, we're going to get a chance to go back to our truth source, the Bible. I think we're going to realize that the definition that it has for freedom is very different, very different than what our culture says. Modern culture sees freedom as being absent of constraint with limited restriction. In other words, live any way you want as long as you don't hurt others. That's the mantra that we live by as a culture. But if you think about it, and I love Tim Keller points to this, that that presumes on one critical, critical thing, that we know what is harmful. You see, in order to determine that, you have to determine what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, and that comes from a truth source. And this morning, that truth source that we're going to look at for redefining what freedom is, is God's Word, Romans chapter 6. Let me pray for us as we dive in. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to look at what your Word says. I pray that if there is some redefining that needs to happen, even in our own minds, so easy to be influenced and subtly redirected by the, the, the tide of the culture around us. I pray that you'd reprogram us with a, a biblical view of freedom. Thank you so much for how practical your word is, how it even speaks to issues that we still struggle with in our culture today. Pray that you'd be speaking to us, meeting us exactly where we're at in this text. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. So how are we holding up? Are we doing okay? Is this all right? All right. So, uh, so chapter 6, we're in verse 15 of Romans. And uh, this uh, first verse is kind of a, a repeat verse. Take a, a look with me there. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Wait a second. Do you remember hearing that in the text last week? It's basically... If you notice there, look, glance back down to, to verse 1, it's basically repeating the same idea, the same question, or the same case that he was making earlier in the chapter. Now, he's just taking it from a slightly different angle, combating the idea that grace leads to, to, to moral chaos. Notice he has the same exact response with exclamation mark, 
by no means. By no means. In other words, with, with this new freedom, it's not a free-for-all. I, I, I'm confident that after the victory there with William Wallace, they didn't go back to complete anarchy, everybody doing whatever they wanted. You see, with freedom, there comes frameworks. With freedom, there comes frameworks. Like this quote by Tim Keller, freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but rather consists of finding the right, liberating restrictions. The freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but rather consists of finding the right, liberating restrictions. Let me give an example of that. I don't know if anybody else struggles with the same thing I do. Food. Food, food, is, food is really hard. Food is, food is very difficult because our, our natural inclination is to want to eat whatever we want, whenever we want, and here's the key for me, is how much I want, right? Like, there, there, there's, no, there's no real limit to that, and so it's so easy to get sucked into that and say, like, you know, wouldn't true freedom be to just, indu- doesn't that look awesome? Even when I was looking for pictures yesterday, I was like, man, that looks really, really good, but, 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 but here... But here's the thing, it is the understanding, everybody's like, I'm off to lunch now, see a, uh, see a blue wig guy. Um, but here's the truth of how it works. You have to give up this freedom, eating whatever you want, for the greater freedom of good health and long life, right? You have to set, assess which one is more important, which one is more critical, which one is more important to your existence, you see, with freedom, there comes restraint. Love's another example of this, a great example. Most would say, like, in their, in their life, isn't that a cute picture? Most would say, in their life, they don't really feel like they're fully experiencing life unless they're being loved or loving somebody else. Those are com- key components to a, a full life, many would say or agree to. But if you think about it, that kind of joy and that kind of the fruit that comes from that can't come without some degree of restriction, some degree of, of surrender, some degree of compromise, some giving up of my personal freedoms. You see, modern thought on freedom expects a spouse to expect, accept me as who I am, but that's not really how it works. See, there's the, the expectation of, of change, of, of, of transformation in somebody's life. You can't, the, so, so the greater freedom of enjoying marriage and the, God's design for relationships, friendships, whatever you want to fill in the blank with here, is that there is some giving up of personal freedom in order to enjoy true freedom. The same is true under grace. There are new constraints that lead to greater freedom. He explains that more in verse 16. He says, do you, not, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you're, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? If you think about it, the big lie, the greatest lie that, that Adam embraced when they ate from the tree the garden was the promise of freedom. Now, that, was, that was the great lie. But what do we see in verse 16? It tells us that we're slaves of the, of the one whom you obey. So what actually happened there was Satan only reversed subordination. 
Satan only reversed subordination. He became their master. See, sin and righteousness are more than options. There are competing authorities. You tracking with me? They're more than just options for behavior. They're competing authorities. Which one is going to rule in our life? We either obey sin. Or I love that in the text that he says, obey obedience. Like, how do you, how do, you do that? The, the idea of obey obedience. In the first half of the chapter, Paul uses baptism as a metaphor. Now he uses the, the, the idea of slavery. Slavery in that time, and you think about it, I think Paul, when he's writing, I think he, he enjoyed a little bit of shock value in his writing, trying to get the attention of the audience, like wearing a blue wig or something like that. Like, uh, but but the, the shock value here is bringing up such a crass example that was, that, that was not celebrated. In the same way, when we hear the idea of slavery, like what comes to mind is a lot of, of, of negatives, a lot of, of misery. But here in that culture, slavery was not the same as what we experience, have experienced in our country or what we look down on. In that culture, it was part of the, the way the, the whole system worked. In order, well, you had employees in that day that were actually considered slaves, and they had rights. They had a, a certain amount of time that they had to work in a day, then they had time free to them themselves and so it's a little different it sounded a little bit more like our employment now anybody else like yeah that sounds like my system right now or I'm a slave to my employer but the difference was then and now is when you're a slave you don't have the choice to change jobs you they, they have a right to you their the, the parallel is that is that they they have a claim the master has claim over their life and that's Paul's point here, is that he's saying, when you've embraced Jesus Christ as Savior, you've said, yes, I'm going to make him my master or leader. And so the, the whole process then is coming in line with that new reality. It's turning over the keys, if you will. Like this statement by Tony Evans, we, we must relinquish our right to rule. Love that idea. We took our right to rule by eating from the tree, now it's time to give it back. Now it's time to give it back. You think about that idea. I really enjoy uh, driving. Some people driving is a chore. Some people don't look forward to it. Like I love, like even if I have some downtime, I love just going for a, a, a nice drive through mountain roads or whatever, enjoying that. I don't know if there's anyone else that's like that in the room here, but that's something I enjoy. Well, I was in Northern Ireland on a missions trip leading a, a team there. And we were doing some outreach in really the northern point of Northern Ireland, and it gets real, uh, real mountainy, and there are all these windy roads with real stiff uh, cliffs on the side. And I remember going on the drive up to this particular outreach event that we were doing, and just being like, man, this is, this is kind of a scary stretch of road to, to be on. And we're in this bus that holds about 25 people. Well, at the, at the end of the event, the, the missionary that we were partnering with, he said to me, he said, he said Scott, listen, he said, I had something come up. I've got to stick up here, stay up here for a couple days. And he said, I need you to drive the bus and drive the team back. I'm like, are you serious? So here's a couple of the things that were going against me. One, it's a bus that I'm not licensed to drive. Two, it's on the opposite side of the road of what we normally drive on. Three, the, the seat that you're driving on is on the opposite side of the car. Four, it's stick shift, and I've got to shift with my left hand. So I'm driving this big bus that I'm not equipped through, through these windy roads, like looking over cliffs, and like by the end of that drive, like seriously, if I had any hair left, it was legit gone. And so, so, 
at the end of that, at the end of that drive, at the end of that drive, guess what I was happy to do? I was happy to, here's your keys. Like, take them back. I am no good at this. I'm not equipped. I'm not qualified. I don't have the experience. I shouldn't be in the driver's seat. See, the same is true for us, right? Isn't that the same idea in this life? Why he's saying, he's looking down at us. He's saying, listen, you're not equipped. You're not qualified. You don't have the experience. You don't know what you're doing. Hand me back the keys. Relinquish your reign. You're not qualified. And it's not a bad thing. A lot of times you hear this idea of like, oh, I've got to give over the keys to, oh, to a, a loving father, one who knows better than you do, one who has your best interests in mind, the one that sees the future, the one that knows the past, the all-knowing one. Like, really? Is that such a chore? He's like, he's, he's just there. He's saying, why don't you turn it back over to me. It's the same idea, like I don't, I don't hand my eight-year-old daughter a chainsaw, say, good luck, we got some, some hedges to do in the back, can you take care of that, you know? Like, why not? Because you're like, she hasn't been around long enough. She doesn't know what she's doing. It's dangerous under her operation. The same is true for us. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, you've got to, get, you've got to give it back. You've got to turn back the reins. Verse 17 Freedom starts with the heart of man. It says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. What a great section of, of Scripture there. The thing that first caught my attention is in verse 17. You see where this all stems from. It all stems from a changed heart. That's where it had to start. You had to be set free by having a change of heart. We talked about it last week, the whole, the, the whole idea of the old me had to die, and there had to be a new me with a new heart. So that's the starting point. I think our, our world is maybe confused about that. Our world thinks by adding more rules and more regulations or enforcing more rules or regulations and laws, that's going to solve things, that idea of behavior modification. How's that working out for us? How are we doing with that? When you watch the, the news and you watch somebody marching into a classroom with a loaded gun and you, 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 you see just story after story of where man goes when he's left to his own leading. You see, I, I remember some years back, it was kind of a, a, an impactful event just in my, in my memory. I was in, a, in high school at this time and we were in a study hall and they used to play this game called quarters, where you'd flip a quarter. I don't even remember how it works. But you'd flip a quarter. The bottom line is, is one person would win the quarter, and the other person w would not win the, the quarter. And there's a guy and a girl playing this game in, the, in study hall, trying to win a, a quarter from the other person. The, they lost. And after the guy lost, he was so mad about this quarter, he literally picked up this girl and body slammed her on the concrete. It was unbelievable. All of us rushed in, held him down until we got, got help. But I remember in my mind for, for so long, I just kept thinking, I'm just like, how could somebody do that? How could somebody be so broken? You see, 
when we're separated from our Creator God, then we're just led by impulses. We're just going whichever direction our impulse takes us. That's why I'm saying, he's saying, you've, you've got to relinquish that and come back under my reign. Under my reign. And it has to start with the heart. It has to first talks about being set free. You have to be set free before there could be change. Before they can be introduced, I think it's interesting that they described a standard of teaching. I was doing a little bit of research on what that actually was. A standard of, of teaching was describing what early Christians went through. It was basically simple instruction on how to live. Basically, a crash course would be like a believer's basics class in our, our church, an understanding of like, okay, now that you're following Christ, these are the ways, this is the way that you navigate through life and kind of a, but before it wasn't because they were short on knowledge, they knew the right way, they were very familiar with the law, but now because they had been changed from the inside out, it was possible. Verse 18, it says there's a, a new allegiance that's been determined, now you're a slave to righteousness, slave to righteousness. I like in verse 19, you get the idea that he's kind of given a, a little bit of an, a, an apology for his description there. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Uh, I don't know how the audience wouldn't kind of take that as a, a slam, actually, when you're like, oh, because you're so simple, I'm going to put it real simply for you. But the idea is, that, back to the slavery uh, point here, is he's saying that since we have made a choice about who our new master is, now we need to align our behavior with that choice. Isn't that what the Christian life is? Isn't that really what it comes down to, is aligning a, our, our behavior with our, the new identity, our new reality of who we are in, in Christ, putting to, to, to redirecting who's actually guiding the ship? Describes how this works in the second half of 19. It says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. In other words, you used to really excel at sin. You were really good at it. And some of us, when we think about pre-Christ, you're like, yeah, I was too. I, I had lawlessness that led to more lawlessness. And there's a, a snowball effect that happened in my life. Now he's saying to redirect that same energy and passion towards doing good, towards a non-self-centered existence. And before you know it, when you keep working and programming yourself to, to, to do good, you're like, oh, all of a sudden you're like, that's kind of who I'm becoming. It's kind of naturally coming out of who I am. I thought it was interesting, that idea of a progression of, of one leading to more and more. The, the philosopher Aristotle, this is how he described it. He says, sin or righteousness are a voluntary choice, but with each voluntary action, our inclination becomes more involuntary. Tracking with me? Over time, our choices are influenced by our former choices until a predisposition toward right or wrong choices is formed. See, the, the more you're programmed to, to do more and more, you're like, all of a sudden it becomes more of an inclination. And, and, and it starts, the choices you made yesterday start to form and shape the, the choices that you're making tomorrow. All of a sudden, it's not quite as much of a challenge or a chore. It starts to become who you are, 
who you are. This is why obedience in small matters is critical because it trains our wills for obedience in the big matters. Remember that with the story of Daniel. We were in that in the fall. It started with little choices behind the scenes. I'm not going to partake in that. I'm not going to eat what everybody else is eating. And then he's prepared for when his life's on the line later on. See, the little choices, because you, we program ourselves, and the, pre, the, 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 the program or the predisposition actually changes. That's what he's pointing to in verse 19. To lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. It's a progression. progression. Verse 20 he expounds on this, freedom should lead to change. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think another misconception that we have about freedom is that freedom gives us permission to stay exactly the way we are. A lot of times that's what people think, is this idea that, you know what, I'm free to just be me. And that's an excuse for kind of digging in your heels, and I'm not changing, I'm not altering, but that's not how it works in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, there's an ex- expectation of transformation, that we're going to be gradually changing and being made more like Him. See, the truth is, is that we're either he- we're headed somewhere. We're either headed one direction or another. We are going to go somewhere. In this, he points to that progression. What does he say? He says, before you were blindly headed towards a shameful existence, tons of stuff you regret and wish you hadn't done, ultimately leading to death, absolutely no fruit in the equation. You see what he's saying there? Saying that that's what your old existence, when you were blinded, when you couldn't see, when, when sin hadn't been exposed for what it is, you're just wandering wherever based, like I said, on impulses. Remember another serving trip some years back, we ended up uh, helping out at a, a camp in New Mexico. And at the end of the week in New Mexico, we provided an opportunity for the kids to have some, some fun about 100 students, uh, I say kids now, that's weird, college students, uh, college-age students had uh, a chance to have some fun at the, end of the, at the end of the trip. We went to White Sands National Park. Have you ever heard of White Sands National Park? It's actually a really beautiful spot in our country, and it's as far as you can see, just hills and hills of perfectly white sand. It, you, if you didn't know better, it actually looks like snow. Like you're, uh, you felt like I was back in Chicago. And, uh, and, and so all of these whining, and so we had a blast. They were running around. Kids were actually sledding down these little hills and just having a, a blast. And just beautiful spot. The sky was perfectly blue. And literally within, I don't know, five minutes. I don't think I'm exaggerating with that. And uh, my wife says I do that sometimes up here. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but within five minutes or ten, and uh, th- th- this storm started to come in, and you saw it a little bit in the distance, and you're like, oh, it's starting to get a little windy, and man, it feels like it's getting a little more chilly. Before you knew it, like li- in a short period of time, it became a massive 
sandstorm. So I see this as the leader, and I'm starting to rally. I'm like, guys, in the vans, in the vans, trying to, as fast as we can get everybody in. And it's like 100 college-age people that were with us. So it was quite the task getting them in however many vans, like 12 vans we had. We're getting them in there. We finally get in. And it, at this point, you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face outside. Like the sand, the, the ground in the air became one. And before you, before you knew it, we're, we're doing the head count, and we're like, all right, you got everybody in your van. Okay, you got everybody. You got everybody. We're going down the list. And there's one particular van that had two girls that were missing. We're like, oh, are you kidding me? And it wasn't even something that I could do anything about. You're like, I can't go out there and find them. Like, I can't even see a foot in front of my face. All you could do is just like, we just got, got in huddles of just praying for that God would protect these girls. And, and the, the good news, the end of the story, they ended up finding their way back to a road and huddling down for like the hour or so that the storm lasted and ended up being somewhat injury-free. It's a pretty intense moment. And then the army ranger that was, or not army, but the, the forest ranger guy that was helping us look said to us, and he's like, oh yeah, and the, the direction they were headed was to a, a missile t- test zone that we do over here. And I was like, oh, like that, that makes it any better. And, uh, and so, but thank the Lord, they were safe, but I was thinking about that as it relates to our existence, headed to a, a life of, of shame. You don't even know it. You don't even see it. It's, it's right there in front of you, and you have, you're going to have all of these regrets, and this idea of it just kind of snowballing lawlessness that leads to lawlessness, more shame, and ultimately culminating missile zone or whatever, all leading to death leading to death, this point is said, you didn't, you didn't have any fruit. That wasn't even part of the equation. That was, that was your existence. But the good news, which Paul is uh, gratefully uh, good at pointing out as, as well, verse 22, he says, but now, that's an important but now, He's saying, but now things have changed. Rather than living that way, become slaves to God. Rather than living that way, become that, that's your best option. He says, where your choices then lead to being sanctified, becoming more and more like Him. And in its end, the end of before was death. Now, what does it say is the end for us? Eternal life. Eternal life. He's saying, man, he's like, trust me, you want to redirect who's actually leading this charge. In the first century, the Jew understood two ages, the present age, that we currently live on, in, where wickedness ruled God's world. Don't have to look very far around us to see that. The present age. And then the idea of the age to come, where, we, where we'd see God's rule triumph finally at last, where he's the one guiding and directing. And so those two different ages were, were understood in the, uh, the Jewish man's mind. And so this idea of, uh, that he's presenting here is that a Christian... Because of Jesus' work was brought to the age to come in the middle of the present age. A Christian was summoned to live in the present in light of the future. In other words, to be a sneak peek of what's to come. If anybody's gotten sucked into some of this Star Wars stuff that's going on and seen every single trailer, watched everything, counting down the days on the calendar, already pre-purchased tickets. Come on, you can, you can confess here. We're amongst family. Or so, or so I thought until the wig thing. But, uh, but we're amongst family. This idea, though, is I, I think with my son Chase, I've watched this one trailer like 10 times. Like we keep watching it, maybe less, five. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of times, no talking. Uh, but, uh, 
a lot of times we've watched this trailer and it's kind of fun. You kind of get excited about it. And, the, the, and, and what the, the buzz that's been created because of that is like, man, people are like, man, I can't wait to see this Star Wars. Even people that haven't even seen the, the earlier, they're like, I don't care. I'm into this. But, but here's the picture that he's painting here is this idea that we get to be that sneak peek. We get to be to the world around us. You get to be that sneak peek of what's to come, bringing in the present what is to come. It's a powerful picture, expectation to change. He ends with a, a verse that we're all familiar with. 3.23, I'm 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I feel like it's this final reminder for us as he concludes this thought. Remember, the lie of sin is exposed. It only leads to death. Remember, it's been exposed. The wages of sin, I, I like the, the picture there of a wage, the idea of, of continual or, or ongoing payments. Sin just keeps on making death payments. They're little, they may be incremental, but it's all getting you there ultimately to death, little death payments. And he says, no longer being under that, he's a, you, you don't have to, you can forego these payments and accept the lump sum of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And did he mention? Oh yeah, did I mention? Oh yeah, it's free, it's free. A lot of people's ears turn up when you, when you say that word. That's an attractive word. He's saying it, it, it's free. So when we're trying to define freedom, the confusion about it being a free-for-all to do whatever you want, whenever you want, is just a myth. True freedom, as we see in this text, is submission to the one that knows better. The one who, who, who knows how to navigate through those hills, through those mountains, that, that's learned how to drive with sh stick shift with their left hand. Like turning over the keys and rain, that is actually freedom. Do you realize how countercultural that is? The idea of giving up my reins, my rights, submitting to someone else's authority? Are you serious? No way. But that's what he's called us to, and that's what this text points to is true freedom. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for this redefinition of freedom. It's so opposite of our, what our world screams. That you want your rights, your ability to choose, your ability to do what you want, even questioning what harms others. God, the freedom that comes when we finally come to the conclusion that I can't do this, I can't I can't solve this. I can't navigate this. I need to get back within the parameters. I need to come out of the, the blindness back onto the road. God, I thank you so much for your patience with us. I thank you for the idea that we can be a preview of eternity where you reign, you rule. We can be that sweet fragrance to the world around us. I pray that you'd empower us to do that even in the week ahead. Thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for that you provide for this freedom through Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. Thank you, Thank you worship team. I, uh...
want to congratulate you guys. Nice job. You were actually paying attention. Uh, the first service said that after a while they didn't even notice that, it, that anymore, which is a little concerning to me. Uh, but anyway, I pray, pray they have a wonderful day. Enjoy the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Take care.